we get caught up in a moment or we fall into a pattern that leaves us feeling ashamed or sometimes completely you feel lost. You get into a pattern in your life or maybe you get addicted to something and just kind of feel lost. But I'm here this morning to tell you that life is not made up of one season. Your life, my life is not made up of one season that we go through. I find it absolutely fascinating as a pastor that people, some people can cause so much pain in the lives of others and and make so many poor choices and move through life without much self-reflection at all. I watch it. They make these choices over and over and over and over again. And there's 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 hardly any self-reflection stepping back and asking, why do I continue to to have these patterns in my life? Why do I continue to make these choices? What causes me to have these thoughts? They just keep going through life, making choices and causing pain. And then others make one decision. I see this as well on the other side of the pendulum. They make one decision or they struggle in one season of their lives and they let that determine their identity and their destiny. They do something and it's like that one thing becomes their identity. They hang on to that one thing and it rules their lives. If we were all judged by the worst season of our lives, none of us would come out too well. If you were judged by the worst season of your life, when you were younger, when you got maybe, it doesn't matter. None of us would come out too well. We'd all be in bad shape. But that is not how God works. That is not how God works. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says this, Repent then. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This morning, what I want to do is I want to take apart Acts chapter 3, verse 19, and let God put us back together. This is, an encur- this is going to be an encouraging sermon that may not feel like it, all right? It may not feel like it, but this is all about how do we not allow one season in our lives to dominate our destiny, to dominate our identity. So I'm going to take apart Acts chapter 3, verse 19. We're going to go through it because I want God to put us back together. I want to show you how you can break free. Some of you are in spiritual bondage. I want to show you how you can break free and start over. Okay, so Acts chapter three, verse 19 says this repent. I know we're not supposed to use those words in church anymore. I'm going to use all kinds of words we're not going to supposed to we're not supposed to use in church anymore this morning. Okay, so just tuck your feet underneath your chair. We'll all be fine. It says repent. And I'll tell you, one of the first scriptures I ever memorized in my life was Psalm 51. I had an older pastor who said, I want you to sit down. I want you to go through this. I want you to memorize this. Psalm 51. King David shows us what it means to repent. When the prophet Nathan comes to him after he's committed uh, uh, adultery with Bathsheba, comes to him and basically says, you are the man. Goes to that story and tells him, you are the man. And David's response is, to me, the, the ultimate response when it comes to 
to repentance. In Psalm 51, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. It says, Have mercy mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out, we're going to use that word over and over again, those words, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know that my, that I know my transgressions and my sin are always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be proved right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all of my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Repentance causes us to turn from evil and to turn to good. Turn from evil and turn to good. It means to return to God. It's returning to God. It's being sorry for your sin, hating it and stopping it and turning back to God. Three times in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel, God calls his people to repent. He says this in chapter 14, 6, it says, repent, turn from your idols and renounce all of your detestable practices. In chapter 18 and verse 30, repent, turn away from all of your offenses. In verse 33, in chapter 33 and verse 11, it says, turn, turn from your evil ways. And then Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, it says, take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widows. Repentance in the Old Testament has this idea of regretting something. There is a regret that happens. You do something in your life, in the past, or whatever it is, that season in your life, that choice that you made, and you go before the God, and you, you, you are broken with regret, and you say, God, forgive me, but there's this regret that is taking place in your life. The Bible says... When you are guilty of various sins, if there's different sins that go on in our lives, if we're guilty of those various sins, we need to confess them in order, in order to receive forgiveness. You can't just, there's not just, well, you know, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing and God's going to keep forgiving me because God is love, right? God is love. And no matter what we do, God's just going to forgive us without, God is love. God is merciful, right? Mercy triumphs over judgment, right? The sermon started long before I got up here. Mercy triumphs over judgment when we repent and ask God to forgive us for our sins. And every single one of us needs to continually do that. So the Bible tells us we need to do that. And David says that what we need to do is go and repent and ask God to forgive us. We need to ask God to forgive us of our sins. In Leviticus chapter 5, verse 5, it says, When anyone becomes aware that they are guilty in any of these matters, they must confess 
in what they in what way they have sinned. They need to confess. And then in Leviticus chapter 26, verses 40 through 42, it basically says if we confess our sin before God, he will restore us. God will restore that person. So when we confess sin, it's it's pretty much if you if you confess your sin, if you repent, the Bible says God will restore you. It gets even better here. So hang on. We're kind of got, we're wading through this a little bit. All right. So the first thing we need to do, Acts chapter three, verse 19 says we need to repent and then God will restore us. Confession belongs to repentance and is needed for divine forgiveness. We need to confess our sin before God. I'm not telling you this morning to have you have to run around and tell everybody else what happened in the past or what you're. But there needs to be confession before God. In some cases, honestly, there needs to be confession before other people because you may have sinned against someone else and you need to confess that sin to them so you can be restored. But confession belongs to repentance. And we will not find forgiveness of divine forgiveness until we have that repentance. But here's the cool thing. First John one nine, it says, so nine, it says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive you your sin and purify you from all unrighteousness. In Isaiah 59, verse 20, it tells us that God, God wants to fellowship with those who repent. God wants to fellowship. He wants fellowship with those who choose to repent. So that's the first thing we need to do. We can't have, we, we need to humble ourselves before God. And every single, there's not one person in here who doesn't sin consistently. In your thoughts and your actions, whatever it is, there's consistent sin. So the first thing we all need to do, this applies to every single one of us. We need to repent of our sins. It's kind of difficult in our culture now because we hear these different messages and, and it's like nothing is ever wrong. You know what I mean? Unless you're on the wrong side of a political kind of situation, then everything that side is, does is wrong and everything your side does is right. You notice that if you're if you're on this side of the political agenda or if you're on that side of the political you know, tracks or whatever, whatever your side does, there's an excuse for it. There's a justification for it. Whatever the other side does, there's no justification and no excuse for it. That's not healthy. We need to recognize, that's what we talked about in the very beginning. Some people have a problem with self-reflection. I think, in a sense, all of us have a problem with self-reflection sometimes. We don't want to look at the depth of our own sin. We don't want to look at the depth of our own sinful nature. And that's a problem. That's a problem. Is something we need to come to grips with. God loved you. Hear, hear me out. God loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. If you were the last person breathing on this earth, Jesus Christ, the son of God, would have come down and died for you. That's how significant you are. That's how important you are. It's where you find your identity. But we also have to recognize that we are fallen and that we have a sinful nature and we continue to sin against God. David understood that. First and foremost, David recognized that he was sinning before his God. First here and then here. So we all have to start some, get some good self-reflection. Acts chapter 3, verse 19 continues. Turn to the Lord. 
It says, turn to the Lord. So you repent and you turn to the Lord. Hosea chapter 14, verses 1 and 2 says, Israel, return. Come back to the Lord, your God. Sin has made you fall. Return to the Lord and say, please forgive our sins. God calls his people to repent of their sins. Why? Why is it so important? Because once we do that, we find forgiveness. Once we ask God to forgive us, he forgives us. I don't think we grasp this concept. I don't think we understand it. That's why we fight it. That's why we don't want to face him. When we mess up and we get into a pattern of sin in our lives, we kind of somehow feel like God's not watching anymore. And then if we don't pray and we don't read the Bible, we won't feel as bad. And so when we're in a pattern of sin, we cut God out through prayer. We cut the word out through our lives. And so we're, we're kind of, we've kind of isolated ourselves and things go downhill from there. Instead, the God who is there is always watching. He already knows what you are involved in. You need to go before him. You need to work it through with him. You need to ask him to forgive you. And if you're as in sincerity of your heart, you're asking for forgiveness. He will forgive. Acts three tells us this is so once we repent, once we repent. And return to God. Our sin is wiped out. We're going to get into detail on what that means. Okay, when you repent before God, when you confess your sin before God and you repent, your sin is wiped out. The Bible says it's wiped out. It is no longer. Hear me out. Okay, and what I'm telling you is completely true. Okay, so what you think, what you may have been taught in the past, what you picked up around by just kind of picking up on things is not maybe not be correct. What I'm telling you now is completely correct. When you confess your sin and repent, God forgives you and your sin is wiped clean, wiped out. Um, Psalm 51 blotted out. It says he will blot out your sins. In Psalm 103, 12, it reminds us, and you've heard this before, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I've said this before, God chooses to forget. As far as the east is from the west, when we repent, God chooses to wipe the slate clean. It's a a do-over, if you will. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never... Listen to this. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Will never... See, that. that you're you're thinking the bad news is, Oh, I've done something, I've sinned, and I repent, and God's... Because what we do as human beings, we we we, we give our personality or our behavioral patterns to God. So God's now mad at me. I did something that no one else has ever done or no one else has ever thought about. Not true. And now God is mad at me because we get mad at people when they do something. We get angry. We're angry. For whatever reason, we get angry. And so we, we project those emotions onto God. Yes, God gets angry, righteously angry. Why? Because he wants to bring about repentance in our lives. Once we repent, it's not like, well, well, I'm still mad. I'm still, that was terrible. And I, I, you're forgiven, but, you know, it'll take me a little while to get over what you just did. That's not how, that's not God. 
Okay, that's not what the Bible says. It says it says in Romans four eight, blesses the one who sin, the Lord will not count against them. The problem is here's the problem. Okay, we're going to go back into kind of tuck your feet a little bit. Okay, here's the problem. Some people don't have the right view of sin. I mean, honestly, I, when I talk, I use the word sin or repentance and I every service I get maybe two or three, four people and say, hey, don't stop using the word. sin." I, I, we don't talk about it in church anymore. It's kind of one of those words that we don't talk about anymore. So if you're not talking about it in church. Um, the problem is some people don't have the right view of sin or their sinful nature. Because we're good at heart. And deep down, they really, the, so, we, don't, we don't have a realistic understanding or view of what the Bible says about our sinful nature or what we're actually capable of. So they never receive what God has to offer. Because, not that bad, right? It's not, it's not, let's not get carried away. It's not that bad. We think our sin is eh, not so bad. Or, or honestly, at this point in the 21st century, it's not only not so bad, it's not sin at all. You know, if you use this language, well, that's not really sin because those words, you know, we give words, we give disgusting words meaning. So since we give them meaning, if I use them, the only thing that that has any value is because I gave it meaning, whatever else, and blah, 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 and yada, yada, yada. And so it's not a sin. And so if I go and I take this drug or do that kind of thing and I do this, it's not really a sin because this, that, and the other thing. So not only do we don't recognize the depth of our sin, we don't recognize it's sin at all. And so we basically keep ourselves in spiritual bondage because it is, okay, and God's judgment will be upon us if we don't repent. And so we can't grow spirit. You cannot grow spiritually. I don't care if you recognize it or not. You cannot grow spiritually if you, if you justify everything you're doing and say oh, it's not as bad as or it's not, really, it's, not even, it's not really even a sin if you think about it. If you really think about it, it's not even really a problem. If you don't think your sin is so bad or even that you sin, then you can't have... Listen, here's the thing. I'm just being theologically correct here. If you don't think your sin is so bad that you're not sinning at all, then you cannot, you cannot... Let me make, make these words clear. You cannot have a good understanding of salvation or repentance or forgiveness. I'll tell you where we're really falling short here. We don't understand holiness. You cannot... You say, I'm, not, I'm a humble person. You are not a humble person if you don't understand what holiness is. You are humble when you recognize the holiness of God and you recognize who I am and what I am in relation to God's holiness. I am humbled myself when I think about the holiness of God and I think of myself in relation to God's holiness. That humbles me. It drives me to my knees. It makes me fall flat on my face and put my hands on the ground and go before God. That's humility when you understand the holiness of God. If you don't understand holiness, then you can't understand forgiveness. If you don't understand holiness, you can't understand humility. These things are all tied together. So if I'm not so bad, God's not, you know, his holiness is like, he's he's better than me. So if I think God's just a little better than me and I'm not so bad to begin with, then the whole thing starts to fall apart. If your sin's not so bad, I'll tell you something else. Then Jesus' death on the cross was, was not so necessary. Hey, let's be honest. Come on. Serious. Let's just put all this stuff away, guys. Let's be honest. If your sin, and my, if my, let's just use me. If my sin's not so bad, then Jesus' death on the cross is not so necessary. Then Jesus' death on the cross, the agony he faced, going before, hanging on the cross, taking on the, all the sins of the world. But it's not so significant. Right? 
Because if my, my sin is not so bad, then Jesus' death on the cross is not so significant. And I'll tell you something else. Let's just, be st- let's just say what it is. His grace is not so amazing. Why is it so amazing? I ask myself sometimes now when I watch how things transpire, I think I, I almost want to say to people when I'm talking to them, they're telling me why, they, why they're getting wasted is not wrong and why they're using this is not wrong and why sleeping with that person is not wrong and why doing this is not wrong. I think to myself, what did he save me from? And number two, why did he even bother coming to die? How amazing is his grace? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We sing that song, gives us goosebumps when everybody's singing it together. I'll just be honest with you. If Jeff Greer's sin is not that bad, then God's grace is not so amazing. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, lived the life of a just, he was a, he was a wild, I'll just use the word wild sailor. And then he became, a, he was a sailor, and then he became a slave trader. And he, he killed so many people on his watch. So many people died on his watch. But then he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And when he gave his life to Jesus Christ, he became a godly pastor. And he wrote that song, Amazing Grace, thinking of how God saved a wretch like me. And as he got older, here's what he said late in his life. My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. That I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great savior. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. David, Pastor Dave and I were talking about this, and I, I said, when I got saved, here's the, here's the end. Maybe this doesn't make any sense, so forgive me if it doesn't come off the right way. But when I got saved, I felt like I was hanging off a cliff, and I was kind of hanging onto like a branch, like a, like a, a root. And you know, you're hanging off, and after a while, your, your arms start to get sore, and your fingers start to let loose. And at that point in my life, I was hanging off that cliff, and I felt like, it was like, oh, forget it. Hold on one second. I felt like, just man, forget it. And I let go. And just as I was kind of going, he kind of reached down and snapped my hand like this. And he grabbed me and I was kind of dangling. And he pulled me back up and saved me. So I get emotional. I'm passionate. I preach with the kind of passion I preach with because I was going over the cliff. I recognized my sin. I recognized where it was in my life. And when I let go and I just gave up because I didn't want to be a part of this anymore, he snatched me and he saved me. You know what I see now for the most part? I see people who think there's the edge and they're way back here. They're, they're not, their sin's not so bad. And it's like Jesus said to them, hey, you know, be careful you don't go over the edge because something bad might happen. And you're like, yeah, yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. And when you talk about Jesus saving people, like, well, I figure when they told me Jesus has a wonderful plan for my life and and he got a purpose for me. I figured that was better than what I was doing. So I joined up. If you don't have a good understanding of your own sin and you don't have a good understanding of God's holiness and you don't have a good understanding of what repentance means and what forgiveness, you, you, you lose it all is lost. It's lost. And you cannot become the person that God desires you to be. We think of people like Newton. You know, we say to ourselves sometimes you think of his story and we say, well, I'm not as bad as he was. 
At least I'm not like John Newton. I mean, not as bad as he was when we should be thinking is, and what we should be learning from John Newton is how sinful our nature is. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Amazing grace, who saved a wretch like me. Instead of looking at others and thinking, my sin's not so bad, we should be identifying with another great hymn writer, Richard Robinson, who wrote this, and many of you will know this, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. I find it fascinating, these people that we consider spiritual giants write words like that. You know why? I was at, I was at Promise Keepers years back with my dad and my brother. And they asked the question, on a scale from 1 to 10, how close do you think you are to Jesus? And I was thinking to myself, I, I don't think I rank. Okay, because I, I was a pastor and I was way more spiritually mature than both my father and my brother. And he kind of wrote it down. And, and I saw my father wrote down, he was like five or, he, I think he wrote down five or six. And I wrote down like a one. Because my father didn't recognize. He wasn't spiritually mature enough to recognize the depth of his own sin, his, need, his great need for a savior, that he was a great sinner and he had a great savior. As you get older, as you get more mature, you realize, you begin to truly realize who you are in relation to God and it humbles you. We need to realize the, the more we see our own sinfulness, the more brightly God God's grace shines. The more we recognize our sinfulness, the more brightly God's grace shines in our lives. See, this attitude of playing down our sin is what's causing such an incredible spiritual weakness in the 21st century church. People don't... I was talking to someone else this week, one of the elders, and and we were talking about how people do not read the Word of God. They don't know the Word of God. They don't recognize. They don't understand. Therefore... They just kind of stay where they are. If, if, if no one speaks the truth, you know, I, I know, I know this is not, I know this is not in church 101 of, of, uh, of getting people to pile into a church when you preach these kinds of things. But if no one speaks about the truth and everyone stays spiritually dead, everyone stays in the same spiritual place they are. If you're afraid to deal with spiritual truth, then you're not going to grow. You're not going to change. You're not going to transform. God's not going to be able to help you fulfill your purpose. You're not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to. It all comes together. We need to know the truth so the truth can set us free. And when the storms, here's the thing, when the storms and the temptations and the challenges and the difficulties come, we, can, we are strong enough to overcome them. But right now, when the temptations and the difficulties and the challenges and all those things come, we fall apart or give, give in. We fall apart or give in. We, we, don't, we're not filled, we don't have the armor of God on. We don't, know, we don't know how to fight back. We haven't been trained in how to fight back. So what happens is most people just give up or give in. I, my professor said that I'm going to keep saying this over and over and over again. What you win people with is what you win them to. What you win people with is what you win them to. And if you win them with a weak, pathetic gospel, then you will have weak, pathetic believers. When you win people with weakness and, 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 uh, and tickling people's ears and just making it, everything's okay, let's not get carried, let's not whatever, we don't want to offend anyone, 
Well, then they get into the people you don't want to offend are going to get into fires and they're going to get into struggles and they're going to get into temptations and they're going to get into loss and they're going to get into all kinds of things. But you've won them with some wishy washy kind of gospel. What are they? There's no foundation under their feet. We need to tell the truth. And the truth is that Jeff Greer is a sinner. That's what it is. I have a sinful nature. And every day I need to recognize who God is and his holiness, who I am in relation to God. And then I need to be I need to humble myself before him. And the only chance I have is to recognize who Jesus is, to follow the word of God, to learn about the life of Christ and become more like him so that I can grow and mature spiritually. So when the difficulty and trials come, I'm still standing. You're still standing. So we need to repent and our sins will be wiped out. They will be wiped out. We will be, listen, we will be forgiven. You have to have the right perspective. We will be forgiven. We will be pardoned. Okay, the expression wiped out or uh, blotted out. Okay, it, it basically it, it, it come, it, it's found in Isaiah also found in Isaiah 43, 25. It says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. For my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. I will hear that. I didn't make that up. I will not remember your sins. I will blot them out. I will not remember them. What does that mean? So the expression to blot out or to wipe out sins is taking from the practice of someone who is a creditor charging their debtors. So you're now in debt. You're a sinner. You're fallen. You're in debt. So a creditor who's charging their debtors. But when that debt is paid, when that debt is paid and that debt has been paid for those of us who know Jesus Christ, that debt is, listen, it is canceled. It is completely canceled. It is totally removed. Hear me. Listen to these words because they are biblical words. They are completely removed from the record. When that debt is canceled and we, we receive Christ who canceled the debt and we say, Jesus, become the Lord of my life. His blood completely covers us. And when God the Father looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees his son, Jesus Christ, standing right in front of us. It's amazing grace. It's amazing grace. That's what it means. And then the word used here in the book of Acts, this is really cool, okay? So if you fall asleep... Don't. Um, in the book of Acts, it refers to the practice of writing on tablets of wax. Okay? So put that, put that up there. I want, you, I want to show you a picture. Writing on tablets of wax. So what they would do is they would get a wood trim, and they would get wax, and they would melt wax, and they would have uh, an instrument, and they would write things in that tablet of wax. Right. So so let's just say those are all your sins. Those are that those are the things in the past. That was the season, all the seasons of your life, that season of your life, that sin, that all that thing that you did wrong. It's all written down now on that wax. Right. It's there. Here's the cool thing. When that wax is heated up to one hundred and twenty two degrees. The wax can be used. See the instrument? You see the other side of the instrument? It's all written down. But when we ask, when we repent and ask God to forgive us, the other side of the instrument is used and the wax is wiped smooth. All that was written down, all the past, all the seasons, all the mistakes, all the sins, when we ask forgiveness, it is wiped smooth. God wipes it smooth. And every, listen to me, listen to the words again. 
every trace of that old record is gone. God chooses to forget as far as the east is from the west. So far as he removed my transgressions from me. Smoothed out. You feel like it's still written down. It isn't. If you've asked for forgiveness, the wax is smoothed out. It's a new beginning. You get to start over. It's the concept. When we get the concept of wiping the slate clean. The slate is wiped clean. It's starting over. It is forgotten. It is forgiven. The record, the record that was that you have, that record, that charge against you, every trace of your past sin is gone in God's eyes. It is completely gone. This is the way that God forgives us. That is why a man like John Newton can say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saves a wretch like me. Why? Because he knew the truth that everything that he ever done was written down and then asking for forgiveness. God smoothed over that wax and he was he he was a new creation. The old had gone. The new had come. This is why men like that can sing songs like that. The old has gone. The new has come. And then Acts chapter three continues that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. The word refreshing here means getting a chance it means getting a chance to catch your breath. It's getting, I, I get a chance, oh, I just get a chance to, to catch, a chance to catch my breath or receive. It's receiving some type of refreshment after a hard day's labor, after a hard day's work, or after a, a, a really hard ex, uh, exercise routine or, or working out. And then all of a sudden you're finished and you know, you're sweating and someone hands you something, a cold glass of water or some refreshing and you're being refreshed or that shower after whatever you, whatever word you want to use. It's that refreshing that comes after. It's, it, it's, it's a relief that we feel when God overcomes the evil in our lives. That's what it means. So Acts 3.19 gives us a clear path to freedom. Okay? It's giving us a clear... That's where we're going through this, taking it apart. Acts 3.19 gives us a clear path to freedom, to spiritual freedom. You, you are not, my friends, you are not trapped in your sin. You are not trapped in your mistakes. You are not trapped in your past. You are not the, you are not, hear my words, this is what God wants us here, wants us to hear this morning. You are not the sum total of one decision in your life. You are not the sum total of one season in your life. I wrote this, I came up with the title of the sermon and the thoughts in my head three months ago. And I wrote this about a month and a half ago. And I, cause I thought to myself, there are people in the body of Christ who need to hear this. And I've tell, I've told you this over and over again, but I still believe some of you are sitting there hanging on to things you don't need to hang on to. This is spiritual truth. Guys, listen, if we're going to accomplish what God has for us as a church, if we're going to accomplish what God has for us, every single one of us needs to step up. We need to step up. Some of you, just some of you won't take any kind of leadership role within the church because of your past. You think, you know, oh, if I if I do that, well, this disqualified me and this disqualified me. And and you're stuck in honestly, you're stuck in a time warp. 
You're, you're stuck in a spiritual time warp. You want to be in church. You feel like you need to be in church and you love the Lord and you, you've repented of your sin and you have, but you're still stuck in a time warp. You're still sitting there allowing that to determine the destiny and your identity. And we need to confess. Listen to me. You need to confess. You need to repent. And then you need to move on. And you need to let your feelings catch up to you because that is what keeps you in your seat. You need to confess your sin. You need to repent. You need to move on. You need to move on. You need to move on. Your choices, I'll just be honest, your choices may now have limited you in maybe some areas of where you can serve. That's just consequences, right? It may have limited you in some areas where you can serve, but not in all areas where you can serve. There's still other areas that God can use you, that God can use your leadership, that God wants to use you. He wants to use you. A few weeks ago, I said that today is the day that we draw the line in the sand. Today is the day that we choose to move forward. Well, today is another day that we choose to draw a line in the sand from our past to our present and future, that we stand up, that we stand out, that we begin to live a new season of our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it reminds us once again, therefore, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, The old has gone. The new has come. And the cool thing, the amazing thing about God's grace is that when you know Christ, you you mess up, you ask for forgiveness. He forgives you and you move on and you're renewed and renewed and renewed and renewed every day, every day, because you're a sinner and I'm a sinner and we sin every day. And we ask God to forgive us every day. And God chooses to forgive us every day. And we cannot allow the enemy to dictate the destiny and direction of our of our lives. If we're going to accomplish the goals for which God has called this church. You listen to me for one second again here. You need to believe God's word and stop believing your feelings and stop believing the lies of the enemy that he's pouring into your mind. You need to believe God's word and stop believing your own feelings because they're leading you in the wrong direction and you need to stop believing the lies of the enemy. You need to lead. You need to help lead a life group. You need to help facilitate a life group. You need to lead a Bible study. You need to be a part of discipling someone. Maybe you've been through something that was really difficult and you overcame that sin in your life. And now you can be used by God to invest in the lives of others who are going through the same thing. You need to disciple and invest in the lives of those people because you're the only one who truly empathizes with what they're going through. And you need to step up and you need to invest in their lives. But that will never happen if you're stuck dwelling in the sins and failures of the past. That will never happen. So basically, the enemy has taken you out. He's taken you out of the picture completely. So people like me who cannot empathize, I can maybe sympathize, who don't have the experience and where you have the experience... Now these people are, you are, have to dwe- trust or, or, or depend on someone like me who cannot get to the depth of what they're really feeling because I don't know what they're feeling, but you do. But you're, you're sitting down and you just, because, you know, because what you did can never, you, you decided it's the unforgivable sin, so therefore you can never be used in any way or any shape by God. Some of you have, asked, listen, here, I'm going to tell you something else. Some of you have asked God to forgive you and he has forgiven you, but you haven't forgiven yourself. 
So let me let you in another spiritual truth or another thought. Stop calling God a liar. Because you say, well, no, that's not what I'm doing. I just I just have to realize. No, 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 no. Don't don't candy coat this. God's word has just spoken, exclamation point, no other discussion around it. But then God has forgiven you, but then you don't forgive yourself. And somehow that, but I know it makes you feel, but I'm just calling, I'm just calling it out and saying that you're calling God a liar. Okay. That's all it is. He's saying, God, I know that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross and suffer for my sins. And I know that you have forgiven me and you have wiped that slate clean and the wax is now. At, but you know what, though? I can't let this go and blah, blah, blah. And here's how I feel and here's what I think. And so just say it. I just want you to say it when this is all over. Just go out home and just sit down with God and say, God, you're a big fat liar. I have people who ask me all the time to find them someone who will mentor them, who will disciple them, who will come around them. They're struggling. They're struggling with all kinds of real deep issues that I have never struggled with before. And they need someone. And you're that someone. But because way in the past you cut and you feel embarrassed that you were cutting way in the past, you feel so that's not you're not talking about that anymore because now you feel you can never be used by God again because how could you do that to yourself? And so even though you've overcome it, there's a lot of other people who are struggling with that, too. But you can't help them. So I'll read it out of a book and try to do the best I can. It's time to step out of the shadows of your guilt and get back into the light and get back into the fight. It is difficult sometimes to, to, to be in the fight when you know people who can help, but they won't. Because they're in bondage. They're in bondage when they don't need to be in bondage. The chains, I mean, come on, we just stop singing. Chains be broken, hearts be healed. You know, it's like chains are broken. It's time to get back into the light. It is time to get back into the fight. Let me tell you something. God has wiped the slate clean. God has smoothed over, smoothed over the wax. And here's the thing. It's all smooth. And now he wants to write a new chapter in your life. Get the heck out of his way. Get out of his way. Stop calling him a liar. Stop believing the lies of the enemy that come from the pit of hell. Okay, get out of his way. Get out of his way. Romans. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 and 2 reminds us, Therefore, listen to me. I'm going to say these words very slowly. Therefore, there is now no... Write that down. Write the word no down. Therefore, now there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. Let me say this very quickly. When you feel like you've done something wrong, the Holy Spirit convicts you. You are convicted. You ask for forgiveness. God forgiveness. God forgives you and you move on. Condemnation only comes from the enemy and keeps you in your seat. Keeps you bound. But the Bible says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Let's pray. Oh, God, I pray that you would speak into each of our hearts and you would you would address us right where we need to be addressed. If we're calling you a liar. Call us out. If we're living in sin right now, call us out. 
There's some people that right this morning right now, they don't even know you and they need to know you. They need to recognize that they're a sinner. They need to recognize that Jesus Christ came and died for their sins. They need to recognize that they give their lives to you, that you will forgive them, that their slate will be wiped clean, that they get a do over that the old is gone, the new has come. They need to recognize that. They need to say right now to you, they don't need any special words or any special services. They need to say to you, forgive me, God. I am your, I want to be your child. And if you've done that, I would like to hear, I would like you to just grab my hand this morning and say, I did that. I, I told God I want to be his child so I can help you in your spiritual journey. But God, I pray that if there are those who are still living in the past, maybe with unconfessed sin, Lord God, that they would confess that sin, that they would bring it into the light so that you can forgive them, so they can be restored, Lord God, and they can be used in the way you have designed them to be used. None of us, not one of us is beyond your grace because you're amazing. We pray this in Jesus' precious and awesome and loving and compassionate and forgiving name. Amen.